It's time for some cheap talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. And with that familiar music, you know you are listening to your cheap trick podcast, Cheap Talk. And as usual, I'm joined by the wonderful and talented and lovely BJ Cramp. How are you doing today, sir? I'm wonderful and talented. (laughs) (laughs) Which is pretty good, actually. Well, today's kind of like a Ken solo show, a Ken solo episode. We kind of, we uh, break things up and do special team episodes, if you will. And today we're going to interview someone from the land down under. And that's Stephanie Stewart Morgan. She's, of course, a big part of our Facebook page. And if you're not on our Facebook page, you should be part of it. All you have to do is do a search for cheap talk with trick chat and you will find us we have quite a lot of people there don't we bj yeah quite a lot of them don't seem to know what the what a podcast is but they're (laughs) they're there anyways (laughs) yeah basically i talked to her about her cheap trick fandom the boys being down under and just what it's like to love such a great band as cheap trick so after this wonderful commercial from the shabby road record show you will hear my conversation with Stephanie Morgan. Rock and roll and vinyl are meant to go together. <laughs> like drummers and strippers. <laughs> That's right. So maybe it's time to hop on down to your local record store and go digging for some lost gems on vinyl. And that's exactly what we do here at the Shabby Road Record Show. We pick selections from our own personal record collections, and then we discuss the songs, the artists, the albums, and the stories about the music that you may have never heard. And there's nothing more fun than listening to two knuckleheads spinning vinyl and talking music. So dive on into the five-star rated podcast, The Shabby Road Record Show. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Spreaker, and Stitcher, where there's a new episode released every Tuesday. Also, you can find us on Facebook and at our website, ShabbyRoadRecordShow.com. This is Stephanie Stewart-Morgan coming to you from the other side of the world to tell you you should be listening to every episode of Cheap Talk with Trick Chat. You're like a professional. (laughs) I did do radio for a little bit, just community radio, but I did do it for a bit. Well, I've got the face for radio, so (laughs) someone told me that once. I think it's a compliment. I'm not sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Cheap Trick has notched up more than 20 million album sales worldwide, along with countless top 10 hits during their 70s and 80s heyday. Now, the band's set to visit our shores once more. Iconic. No. 
and above all, influential. Cheap Trick were arguably one of the greatest rock bands of the 70s and 80s, and now, in their fifth decade, the band is heading down under as part of a brand new tour. But for frontman and lead guitarist Rick Nelson, this trip sees him treading on familiar territory. I love Australia. People are great. Food's terrific. In fact, the long-serving muso narrowly missed out on becoming one of our own. Actually, I tried to emigrate to Australia in 1971, I think it was. I hated the music in the United States, and, uh, and I had a dog as opposed to having kids. And uh, because of the quarantine, uh, I, and I had all the paperwork ready, and, uh, it was, and it's, it's actually in one of the songs of her, in one of her albums. Uh, I'm gonna live on a mountain way down under Australia. See that? It was like it was the, the tune was called Down. While Rick's coy about his achievements, the secret to his success and longevity is pretty simple. I love to play. That's the, the cream of the crop and the icing on the cake and and all that other stuff you that's too good for you. No, I'm not from Down Under, but I wouldn't mind going there. Today I'm joined by somebody who is from the land Down Under. From Australia, live and direct, it is Stephanie Stewart Morgan, Cheap Trick Fan Extraordinaire. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. Glad to be with you. <laughs> Let's hear a little bit about your Cheap Trick story. How did you get into the band? It was, it was a bit of a slow burn. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I think, deep... Uh, Dream Police came out in 79 or 80, so I would have been about um, 8 or 9 when that came out. I remember seeing them, we had this show here called Countdown, and every single person who's, you know, been alive as long as I have knows Countdown. Mm -hmm. It was a nationwide show. It was the only show that went to all corners of Australia, and they played music. It was on every weekend, and that was my lifeblood. Um, I was living out in the sticks at the time. I grew up on a farm out in the middle of nowhere. And so that was my lifeline. And I remember seeing Dream Police on there. And, you know, for somebody of that age, it, it was visually striking. Um, I do remember thinking, even at that tender age, why do they keep showing that strange guy in the hat and not any more of that good-looking bass player? <laughs> but uh, I loved the song, most of all. And... After that, we sort of didn't hear anything for a few years, and then they came back with "If You Want My Love." And apparently, I didn't find this out only until a couple of years ago. But that song was only a hit here; it wasn't actually a hit over in America, and as far as I know, nowhere else either. But I remember my sister being in love with it, and mm-hmm. the video with the lights swinging back and forth, mm-hmm. and then again, nothing t- till. 88 when they brought out the flame and of course that was a huge hit everywhere but in australia that's basically been it for cheap trick you want you you have to sing along to the song even if you don't know it if you do know it you have to sing to the song
My music, I believe, should be played in my new apartment over here. We're, uh, I'm going to rent it out to the Aussies, let them uh, throw an opera or two in there, but as long as I have first rights, uh, that should be all right. It's all right. I'm, uh, my housekeeper's keeping it in nice shape. does a nice job. I didn't sort of think about them again until, because the flame's not really my cup of tea. I didn't take any notice of that. If anything, it killed any interest I had as a younger person. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I moved to Sydney and I ended up managing a band and they were very much in the same genre, like that power pop slash rock mm-hmm. genre. And one of the songs, they used to do mainly originals, but one of the songs they used to cover was I Want You To Want Me. And I hadn't heard that song before. Um, I don't think it was it or Budokan were very big, but if they were, I'm obviously too young to remember it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it was, it was sort of an underground thing. And they were the ones that sort of, they played me Budokan and it was like this whole side of Cheap Trick that I had no knowledge of whatsoever. And I think I must have thought Dream Police was like their debut album or something. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I got into that and I thought, yeah, they're not bad. It really kicked up in, I think it was 97, the movie Detroit Rock City came out. And you being a Kiss fan, you're probably familiar with that movie, are you, Ken? 1999. They, they just put a uh, deluxe edition of the Blu-ray out. It's, it's finally out on Blu-ray. Oh, have they? Yeah. I've got to so. get that. I love that movie. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great flick. I enjoy yeah. it. It gets a lot of chuff from people, but, you know. Yeah, well, those people just aren't Piss fun. On them. The, um... The scene where they drive into Detroit mm-hmm. and they play Surrender by Cheap Trick and it's it just well. so beautifully edited mm-hmm. that the song just hits you, you know. And I remember going to a, partly, a party shortly after that and I was talking to somebody and we'd both, you know, it was like, you know, the rough end of the night. And I was talking to somebody and he's gone, you know a band that I really like? And he's gone, I watched that Detroit Rock City the other night. And I said, you're going to say Cheap Trick, aren't you? And so it started to really develop from there that, you know, with Budokan and then with that in the movie. And it was just like there's this whole side of this band I've, I haven't discovered yet. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you had the internet at your fingertips. So right. I started, you know, working out what have I missed out on this band and what happened to that really good-looking bass player they used to have? So, of course, Google is my friend and the rest is history. <laughs> right, so that's cool. I'd picked up the bass by this, by this point. Before I sort of rediscovered them, I'd bought myself a bass and was just noodling around on it. And I had a band at the time and I was writing the songs. So I wasn't playing bass on stage, but it was helping me write music. But once I started looking into Cheap Trick and I discovered what Tom was about and he'd invented this whole new instrument the 12 string bass and just watching him play and stuff like that was just it just flicked a switch inside of me and I became sort of really hardcore about learning how to play the bass and I've now got a Waterstone 12 string bass Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a beauty it is. It's beautiful. I was, it's funny because I always loved that mod design, the blue, red, and white mod design, and yeah. they s- stopped making them like five years before I even knew about them. And then all of a sudden, after I said, look, I think I need to get a 12-string bass, Waterstone started reproducing a limited edition of some of their designs, and that was one of the designs they reproduced. So I got 
it was perfect timing. I got myself a, a mod Waterstone 12 string bass, and it's beautiful. It is. It's absolutely stunning. I wish I had it myself. You know, that performance that you mentioned on Countdown, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but Bunny's kit falls apart during that. I hadn't noticed that. I may be distracted by other things going on. Well, you on need to check out the. Because, you know, Bunny, it, it seems like he's. Whenever they lip sync and stuff, he switches his kit around, you know, so that. Right. So. I was going to say, was it on purpose? Because um, Countdown was famous for being lip synced. Nobody ever played live on Countdown, but it was all meant to look like that. Right. So quite a lot of bands messed with that idea and would just take the piss basically and not play their instruments properly or whatever or maybe so, instead of a guitar they might have a broom yeah yeah or, or, or sing into a razor or, or something or they'll just sort of be swinging their guitar around and not even pretending to play you know mm-hmm. no one was ever plugged in on countdown right but it's it's pretty interesting to check that footage out it's it's on youtube look for cheap trick on countdown dream police you'll find it they also did a countdown performance of I Want You to Want Me. Mm-hmm. So they did they did release it here and mm-hmm. release Budokan here, but uh, I don't know whether it was a hit. But they, they did make it as far as Countdown, but that obviously didn't have the same impression on me as what Dream Police did. Right. Well, like you said, you were out in the country. Yeah, and very young. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever think that it that this journey would lead you to coming all the way to the United States of America to meet fellow Cheap Trick fans and I see the band? Don't think, I don't think anybody can foresee something like that happening, you know, and that's the power of the internet. I'm, I'm a total tech head. I, I just love technology. I love the progress that's happened. You know, the internet is like a window to the world. And maybe it's got something to do with the fact that I did grow up out in the sticks. Right. Where there was, you know, I, I couldn't even see my schoolmates after after school because, you know, they were like a 20-minute drive away, you know. Right. So I was a bit isolated out there and I think I've embraced the internet for that reason. And, you know... It's so easy to meet like-minded people on places like Facebook and that sort of thing. And, yeah, it was just... I know a lot of people still frown upon going to the other side of the world to meet somebody you haven't actually met in real life before. But, you know, the people I hung out with, you know, Sherry and Lois and Christina and all the people that I met at the concerts that I'd spoken to online and everything, and... I knew these people like I know my real life friends, you know, mm. I'd, I'd heard their voices, I'd seen their faces, I spoke to them every day, you know, so it wasn't a big leap to go, it, it didn't feel like the first time I'd met these people and it just felt like I was going to these gigs with friends and it was all just up the road, so yeah, it's, the internet's made the world a whole lot smaller I think. Have you got a 12-string? Uh, no, but I've played them before. Yeah? yeah what do you think? They're a blast. Yeah, yeah. I also like I to played play one. Um, you know. The first time I played one was 
in Japan. Uh-huh. Uh, do, did you know that, like, the we went to this um, Japanese cheap trick tribute band, Cheap Track, uh-huh. in this small bar called the Crawdaddy Club. Uh-huh. And while they were playing, in walked three quarters of Cheap Trick. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, I mean, it was, it was just amazing. It was like I, I couldn't even get my head together that night I just couldn't believe it happened you know you you see things like that in the inter, on the internet and uh-huh. you think oh how good would it be to have been there and that was one of those instances where I actually was there but the uh the Japanese version of Tom in cheap track had a 12 string water stone so uh-huh. I said to him you know could I have a go because I thought this might be the only chance I'd get to actually have a go at one uh-huh. and it was actually not as hard as what I thought it would be. I was right. I was surprised by how easy it was to play. And then I came home from Japan and told my husband that I think I want to buy a twelve string bass. And he's he's actually he's a guitarist and uh-huh. he's actually been picking it up and playing it. And he's turned into a twelve string bass enthusiast now. He's awesome. he's been actually looking into maybe buying another one for himself. <laughs> Like a, a non-waterstone twelve-string. So, well, the weird thing about it is, is it's almost like you have to be careful what not to play at times. Because yeah. there's times you want the full effect, and then there's times you just like want to pick the one note out, if you will. Does that make yeah. any sense? Yeah, uh, I found that there's certain songs that you can't play on a twelve-string. Right. You know? So you have and to this... be careful of of how you do it. You know. It's almost yeah. like, like I said, what not to play. I've been um, sort of playing it very similar to how I play my four-string, but uh-huh. I'm starting to sort of branch out on that and playing it like a completely different instrument. Right. And, you know, there's things you can do on there. It, it, it almost seems like I'm wasting an opportunity if I just play it like a four-string, you know, playing it like a four-string but hitting three strings at a time, uh-huh. you know. But... Um, you know, it, it is like a completely different in, different instrument and my husband's a guitarist and I'm a bass player and this is kind of something that meets in the middle. So he plays more like a guitarist and I play it more like a bass player, but, you know, it's 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 an in-between thing, you know? It's, it's a really amazing instrument. Now, you found yourself in an airport and I believe... I found myself in several airports on that trip. Yes. <laughs> But one in particular, where Rick Nielsen happened to pop his head out of a corner. Can you tell us that story a little bit? Well, that was probably the least glamorous airport I ever went to. But um, <laughs> it was like an old shack. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in, in that way, it worked to my advantage. I, I'd i made this decision at 3 o'clock one morning before my trip to make this leap over to the Sheridan gig which was the day after the Iowa gig. And then I had to be back at Chicago the next day. Three o'clock in the morning is probably the, not the best time to be making those decisions. But I, I bought the concert ticket and there were still good tickets available. They were pretty pricey, which is probably why there were still some available. But I thought I'll sort out the transport and all that stuff in the morning. And, of course, I've got up in the morning and think, oh, my God, what have I done? So... I'm looking up airfares and everything and I just thought, I don't know how I'm going to get to this place because it was just in a backwater of Sheridan and it just didn't seem like there was a major airport anywhere near it. Uh I was going to have to drive some of it. And so in the end, 
I w- we worked out what I was going to do and it meant that I had to go from Minneapolis, from Chicago to Minneapolis, then Minneapolis to Billings and then drive from Billings, Montana to Sheridan, Wyoming. Oh. So I'm sitting in there waiting for my connecting flight in this shack of an airport and I, in walks Rick Nielsen and I mean anybody who's seen me while I was over there knows that I'm a, I'm a petite person. Diminutive. And Rick's... <laughs> Rick's like a man mountain, you know, oh. and he's just sort of walked in. It felt like he took up the whole room, you know. And then I saw Dax roll in and it was just, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. And, you know, I had the shakes and I was trying to get my phone out of my bag and <laughs> trying to remember how to speak English. And yeah. so I went up to him and, and I said, oh, hi, Rick, would it be okay if I get a photo? So he dragged Dax in and we got a photo and... And, like, I think of what I said then now, and it just sounds so ridiculous, but I said to him, are the others here? Like, I don't know how I thought they were going to get to Sheridan if they weren't there with him. But he pointed Tom out, and I went out and got a photo with Tom, and they actually recognised me because I'd been at the concert the night before in Iowa, mm-hmm. and I was in the front row, and so they actually all recognised me from that. And I'd met some of them in Japan beforehand and I think it was when I spoke to them at the airport they realised who I was I was the crazy Australian that had already been to Japan to see them <laughs> so they they were very friendly, I got photos with them and they were sort of getting ready to go on first because they were first class and I sat back down in my seat and um, I thought oh damn I've missed Robin I can't see him anywhere and I missed Robin, getting a photo with Robin in Japan as well, and I thought, God, I'm just never going to be able to catch him. And just as I've sat down and put my phone away, I've looked up, and there standing right next to me was Robin Zander. And he's just sort of looked at me and gone, hello. <laughs> and I'm just sort of looking at him thinking, now, that is Robin, isn't it? I'm not mistaking it for someone else, but he sort of looked at me like as if to say, you should recognise me. <laughs> <laughs> so I got finally got a photo with Robin as well, and it was great. They were They were lovely and... My biggest fear for this gig was that I was on such a tight schedule and taking two flights there and then having to drive that if anything along that line gets messed up, if I if a flight is running late or something like that, I'm screwed. I'm going to miss right. the gig. Right. And when I realised that they were on the same plane with me, it had that added benefit that okay, well, I can't miss the gig now because if this plane's late, they're late as well. So I'm set. I'm fine. (laughs) So I had my photos and I knew I was going to make the gig on time and everything was golden. (laughs) Excellent. Now, uh, what is your favourite Cheap Trick album? I was afraid you were going to ask me that. There's there's really some apples and oranges there. I, I can't go past Dream Police and I don't know whether it's just because that was my first contact with them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I mean, it is a great album and it's got some of my favourite songs on it. You know, Dream Police is one of my favourite songs, Gonna Raise Hell, Need Your Love. You know, it, it is a really great album. There's there's probably one song on there I'm not mad about, but, you know, which I, one? I certainly put which up one? with it. Uh, which one? Yeah. It's... Um, I'll be with you tonight. Oh, okay. And I think it's as as vinyl, which I have it on vinyl in a couple of different forms, but uh-huh. as vinyl it works a lot better because you've got Gonna Raise Hell inside one and then you flip it over and then that starts side two. And I can see how that worked in that format. Uh-huh. 
but when I'm listening to it on my iPhone and you're just really mellowing out to the good beat of Gonna Raise Hell and then all of a sudden this trebly fast-paced song sort of pierces your eardrums. <laughs> so, you know, on its own it's not a bad song, but I think when you play the album as a whole straight after one another and all like that, it, it does tend to sort of like, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I also... It kind of wakes I, you I, up I, from the vibe. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, when you flip a record, you're kind of getting yourself out of that vibe anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, the latest, I've got to say, is right up there. I just, you know, unlike probably 90% of Cheap Trick fans, Rockford didn't really grab me. It's, it's, I don't know, it seems too flatly produced. It's kind of like it's had all the edges polished off it, and I don't think that bands should. And... The latest, I think, I mean, it's it's probably just as produced as what Rockford is, but uh-huh. it's it's got layers to it, and I just I just think the music on there is just absolutely beautiful. I just you know, I, I can't get enough of that album. Um, I'd have to put also special one in there. I can't you know I've got to I've got to have at least three. You can't tell me to have one favorite album. That's just not going to work. But it works for special, me. <laughs> Special one is is another favourite of mine, and that's a polarising album, as far as fans are concerned. I find, but that's got some absolute gems on it. I absolutely love that album. So instead of asking what your favourite song is by the band, I'm going to give you two options: one soft, okay. one soft, one hard. So you pick them. Oh, God. Where does "Going to Raise Hell" fit? Is that a soft one or a hard one? It's up to you. Uh, for me, it's it's hard to go between like Mandicello and uh, Voices, you know, if you want my love. Those yeah. ones, those are my three favorite Cheap Trick ballads, if you will, in a sense. I mean, even even an album as bad as The Doctor has a gem on it. Oh, yeah. And Take Me to, to the Top is Great actually song. one of my favorite Cheap Trick songs. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, the rest of the album's just utter crap, but it just goes to show that even at their lowest ebb, they were capable of pulling out a great tune. Uh-huh. So, you know, to ask to pick one, that's just cruel, Ken. I know, it's horrible. All right, you ready for this one? <laughs> okay. What, what Cheap Trick song is your ringtone? I actually don't have one as the ringtone. Mine is uh, I'm Not the Only Boy, a uh, ballad of... What's TV the, violence. Yeah, ba- yeah. That's I've the, got a funny story about that song. Oh, well, let's, from, let's from hear tour. it. It was at the Melbourne gig. It was a fantastic gig. But um, I was there with uh, a friend who is also contributes to your podcast Facebook page, uh, Leanne. And Leanne came to, I think, four or five gigs with me uh-huh. in, on the tour. And she's, a, she's an Australian as well. She lives in Victoria. And... She really wanted to hear voices and we were right up the front and Tom was spending a lot of time lingering around our area between songs. So we were actually able to talk to him. You know, people were yelling out to him and everything and Leanne really wanted to hear voices. So she's yelling out, play voices, play voices. And I was joining in play voices for her. (laughs) And so he's sort of standing there listening. It took him a while to hear what we were saying, but he did get the gist. He, you know, we wanted to hear voices. And just as he sort of picked that up, Rick at the other end of the stage introduced the next song and said we're going to play a ballad for you now and Tom's gone 
voices to Leanne. And she's quickly scrambled for a phone and she's picked it out and everything. And she's getting ready to film. And they played Ballad of TV Violence. And I just I just laughed so hard. And I, I after I sort of contained myself, I looked up to see what Tom's reaction was to fooling her. And he was off somewhere else on the stage, not even lapping up his own punchline. Mm-hmm. But... That's one of my favourite memories of the whole tour. She'll hate me for telling you that. <laughs> oh, it's a funny story. Now, she's she, she's the blind girl? That is her, yes. Misbehaviour, ah, yes. we called her on tour. Leanne Blundell? Blundell, yes. Hello, Leanne Blundell. How are you doing? You've seen Cheap Trick in Japan, New Zealand, Australia, and the United States. I've Where... seen 18 shows oh, wow. in four countries in two and a half years. So wow. it's been a bit of a marathon. Mm-hmm. So where is Cheap Trick the best at? Mm, I would ha- probably have to say Japan. For one thing, Japan aren't big on support bands. Uh-huh. So you go to a Cheap Trick show, that's all you get, Cheap Trick. And I'm sure the, the my next reason is consequential to that is that um, the first show I went to there in Nagoya went for over two hours and Tokyo went for just a hair under two hours. So that's a, a lot of cheap trick songs. So, and very enthusiastic crowd, as you would expect in Japan. Absolutely. Mm. You know, that's that's got to be a trip to see them where Budokan happened, in a sense. You know what I mean? Even if you oh. wasn't actually at Budokan, you know what I mean? That just would have been... Yeah, I would that, have had to pinch myself. Yeah, you I did have. actually go to Budokan. Um, I went there on one of the one of my touristy days, mm-hmm. and I sat inside Budokan. They had this... this uh, I think it was a school tournament, and they were... All I can, the only way I can describe it is that they were having matches with bamboo lightsabers. Yes, yes. I was, I was yeah. watching it thinking George Lucas had to have seen this and based <laughs> lightsaber duels on them. But so the place was open and I just sat up in a stand, sat up the back, put my earbuds in and listened to At Budokan, At Budokan. Oh, and wow. Lots of photos. Took, got somebody to take a photo of me sitting on the steps of Budokan, and it, it was quite amazing. I remember sitting there, and when Speak Now came on, and Speak Now, I just the intro to that is my favourite bass playing of all time. Uh-huh. And when that started playing in my ears as I was sitting in the stands, I I just got this real sense of this is where it was. You know, like. The spirit of that gig was with me at that moment, and it sounds corny, but it's it's the only way I can describe it. It was really quite amazing. No, you, you were really tied into the vibe. I mean, you're there where it was well, done, a, so you know. It's a it's a bucket list moment, really. I think absolutely. for a Cheap Trick fan. Yeah, absolutely. Cheap Trick did how many shows in Australia and New Zealand? Eleven altogether. There was eight in Australia and three in New Zealand. Sherry Wyatek came all the way over. <laughs> what uh, was it like meeting it, her again? It's skipping over the pond, really. It's, yeah. No, it was it was great to have Sherry along. It was it was great to have somebody from my American adventure mm-hmm. come over and share the Australian adventure with me. Uh, we had a ball, and Leanne joined us for a few gigs too. So mm-hmm. um, there's probably three or four gigs where there was the three of us, and we called ourselves the Travelling trick chicks and they i think they got used to seeing us in the front row there so it, it was it was a blast it was just wonderful 
That is awesome. Mm. What's it called? The, uh, what is it? the Opera House? Sydney Opera House. Sydney Opera House, yes. It looks like a Spanish design, doesn't it? But it is unique in all the world. Ah. Yes, sir. Okay. I love this town. This is one of the best towns in the world. The most beautiful women in the world live in this city. Okay. So tell us about Cheap Trick in Australia. How did the shows go? It, it's funny because they, I think most people are aware that they, they booked the tour for February. Uh-huh. And that was, that was uh, all kind of very logical on the map. You know, you just moved from one city to the next and it all went in a nice straight line. Then they had to rearrange the tour because they got stuck, attached to the Billy Idol tour. And all of a sudden, it was going from Perth to Sydney to Melbourne to Adelaide, back to Melbourne, up to Sydney. And it was just like zigzagging with making no sense whatsoever on the map of Australia. So it it was exhausting, but it was totally worth it. And there was a few moments there where, just like the Sheridan gig, I had to make sure that planes weren't going to be late or that I was getting in the right public transport at the right time. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad I did it. I would have regretted missing even one show. That is fantastic. What was your favorite show, and was there any particular performance that stood out in your mind? Yes, there, there's like different answers to both those questions. Mm-hmm. My favorite gig as a whole would probably be Melbourne, one for the set list. We got things that I never thought I'd hear. We got Heaven Tonight, which was just, you know... I think most Cheap Trick fans have a list of songs that if they got to pick a a set list, those songs would be on it. Heaven Tonight is Uh absolutely on my dream list. So I I remember when Rick introduced it, he said, you know, we're going to play a song off our album Heaven Tonight. And I just sat there thinking, please say Heaven Tonight, please say Heaven Tonight. (laughs) And he did. So that was great. So we got got some really good songs. Got Taxman, which is another one of my favourite songs. But also the band just looked like they were just having so much fun. It was just like a party up there, you know, where we were standing, which, of course, was on Tom's side. And Tom just sort of hung around his little group of fans on that side of the stage, chatting to them, laughing with them, whatever. And it it was just such a great atmosphere and such a great set list that that one really stands out. As for like a a performance, like maybe like not as a gig as a whole, I, I got something very special now. What happened was when I was in America, the, the week after I left, they played a gig and instead of Tom singing I Know What I Want, he sang Waiting For My Man, which I never thought he would ever sing live again. And I just absolutely love, I've got like about three different versions of him singing that song and just absolutely love it. And when I found out that the week after I left that he played that, I was determined that I was going to hear that song live on this tour. I, I made a sign that said, please play Waiting For My Man for me. And I brought it to, the first gig was Perth, which is way over the other side of Australia. It's actually closer to go to Auckland, New Zealand from Sydney than it is to go to Perth. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I went there, that was the first gig of the tour, and I brought my sign and I certainly wasn't expecting them to play that because I know they have their set lists written out and whatever. So. I just wanted to plant the seed. So I brought it along and I held it up and I know Robin saw it 
but I don't think anyone else in the band did. So the next gig was in Wollongong a few few days later. And once again, I brought my sign. And that time, Tom saw it and acknowledged that he had seen it. Again, I didn't expect it because, you know, I, I wasn't convinced anybody had seen it enough to put it in. But the gig after that was my hometown gig here in Sydney. And anyway, when Tom started playing his solo... I saw in the background Robin strap on a 12-string acoustic guitar and I knew from the footage I'd seen on YouTube that that's what he plays when they play Waiting for My Man. And Sherry was with me at the time and I I said to Sherry, they're going to play it, they're going to play the song. And sure enough, they went from the solo into Waiting for My Man. Now, I'm not, I can't say 100% that they did that for me. However, they'd seen the sign and then they played it. I'm going to go for it and just say they played that song for me. It's hard to say that's not my favorite performance. (laughs) That's very cool. Very cool.
It also had the added benefit of um, they got Billy Morrison, who was Billy Idol's other guitarist. You know, uh -huh. he's always got Stevie Stevens in the band, but he had this other guitarist, uh -huh. Billy Morrison, and he's played in the cult and he's got yes. quite a career of his own. Um, and he came out and played it with them and it was just incredible. And I got the whole lot on video and I think I posted it on to the Trick Chat Facebook page, but I might have to do it again just to... Well, if not, we're just going to have to see it again and again. Oh, look, you won't get sick of it, I can tell you that. That's true. Is there anything you ever wanted to say or ever wanted to talk about on this show? I mean, this is it. There, there could be a long list and nothing's popping into my head. I think that the thing is that when I listen to your podcasts, it, it's honestly like a bunch of cheap trick fans sitting around having discussions about it. The only trouble is that I can't join in. <laughs> and I listen to you and BJ go back and forth and everything, and it's just like, I want to be part of this conversation. Uh -huh. So nothing really springs to mind, but I just I just love the way that – I love the, the feeling I get from listening to you guys do it. It's, it's just fans just speaking freely about a band that we all love, and I'm so glad you guys started it because – I've met a lot of cool people through your Facebook page and honestly, it's the best cheap trick page on the web. It really is. I, I go Thank on there you. every day. I've met great friends. I've had some great conversations. Max Davidson started up that Hurt and Heal poll, yes. which has gone on for so long and Cheap Trick are going to have to bring out another album just so we can do another one of those polls. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's just been great to have, like, debates and discussions and and all this stuff with people who are never going to get sick of talking about cheap trick <laughs> uh -huh. it really is an interactive thing people don't mm. realize that if you're only listening to the show and not enjoying the process on facebook it's there's a whole other side to it right yeah you're missing out if you're not getting on facebook the facebook page as well yeah absolutely do you have a favorite episode that we did or any anything jump out at you i i loved the episode with Zeno because mm -hmm. i didn't really know a lot about that side of the of the band mm -hmm. and and what he sounded like and what happened when he left and robin joined and it was quite interesting to hear him sing for the band it really was like a different band and i sort of likened his voice to um to like Vince Neil uh -huh. or something, which most people will think what an insult. But that's that's just kind of the vocal style he had. So it, I mean, it would have been interesting to see, um, you know, how, how they would have gone had Robin not joined the band and Zeno had stuck around. Uh -huh. But um, you know, the the episode with um, Mike Hayes that was yeah, a great one that too. Was a fun one. Yeah. Oh, I remember you did a show of Tom leaving and then rejoining the band. And I think mm -hmm. it was BJ who sort of gave... Oh, yeah. A, who was it who gave a bit of a history on, on what... Yeah, that, that was definitely BJ. Yeah, and, and then the story about how he rejoined. And a lot of that I didn't know. I, You know, it's a bit of a mystery. There's not much talked about John Brandt leaving the band and Tom rejoining. So that one was particularly interesting, but... You know, I mean, they've all been great. I haven't, I haven't listened to one that I haven't thought was worth my time listening to. So, 
I mean, I listened to the latest one just uh, last night. I had to, to bake some school treats for the kids. They were going back to school today from school holidays. So, you know, it's great while I'm trying to, you know, do something like that or do a bit of housework or something to have that playing in the background. And, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a great thing to listen to. I highly recommend it. Thank you. Do we talk about Kiss too much on the show? No, I wouldn't say that at all. Well, I wouldn't say you that know, at Kiss, all. Kiss kind of pays the bills for the show. Right, yeah. Uh. <laughs> I, I haven't actually listened to any of the Kiss ones. You know, occasionally mm-hmm. one will start up just at the end of one of yours. And, you know, I, I don't feel like I know enough about Kiss or I'm not interested enough in, in Kiss to actually listen to one yet. I, don't, mm-hmm. I just feel like I'd listen to one and it would be just, it'd all go over my head. Kiss is paying the bills for, for the Cheap Trick podcast, then more power to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, Kiss Army. Since 2007, you've been getting Podkissed, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears. That's right, it's your Podkissed. Every month, the Podkissed crew, along with the Kiss Room, brings you Kiss talk like no one else, whether it be roundtables, interviews with the band past and present, analysis, and great Kiss fun. Hi, this is Ace Frehley, and you're listening to Podkissed. Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Podkiss. The Podkiss, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears. What do you think of, like, the Christmas shows? What do you think of those? Oh, they were great. They were good. I enjoyed that, you know. I, I, I think it's great when you, you know, shout out to people who, are, who get involved on the Facebook page, mm-hmm. too. And, you know, I'm biased because I'm one of those people you've given a shout-out to. But, you know, the Christmas one, it was just so all-inclusive and festive. And I'm, I'm big on Christmas. I put up a tree. I put up stockings and decorations all over the place and everything. So, you know, when you have a Christmas-themed episode like that, you know, I, I eat that shit up. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, is there anything you'd like to say to BJ? I'm going to play it just for him. I know that you and BJ have uh, had a few communications about uh, Tom's <laughs> skills as a singer. Is there anything you'd like to say to BJ? Well, I think BJ would probably think skills is a bit of an exaggerated term to use. I think uh, if BJ hasn't looked at my video of Waiting for My Man played in Sydney yet, I think he should, and it may change his mind. If it doesn't, then I'm just going to have to let it go and just enjoy it myself. I, I see what you did there. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even mean to, but that's another great place yeah. intro. I just want to say before I leave that um, I, I want to give like a, a verbal shout out to all the people on your Facebook site, particularly the ones that have been involved in the Hurt and Heal polls because we've had some really great discussions and debates and it's all been in such good uh, humour. And, you know, I just love all that side of thing. It's uh, I, I'm pretty flat out in my real world life, and something like that just brings a little lightheartedness to my day. Oh. So, hello to everybody. I should mention D. If I don't mention D Talada, he'll probably crack the shits with me. So, <laughs> hi D. <laughs> yeah, we are so blessed to have such a great crew of people. Alyssa Picarino, Bill Tollies. I could just go on and on and. 
I always forget somebody's name, so I'll just stop there. If, if you're if, on our if Facebook you're gonna page, you're going to start mentioning names. We'll be here all night. That's <laughs> right. That's right. We, we, we love you guys. We really do. And I was just going to say, too, on behalf of the listening public and the uh, your your Facebook members that I think you and BJ do a wonderful job and you know I wouldn't miss an episode and I hope you keep having the uh, inspiration to keep going. Well we've got them planned from now until the last one is December that we have planned right now so right. we'll see where we go from there. We, we would like to think that we have documented just about every bit of it. There's a few albums we have yet to talk about. and we Well, there'll be a new album to talk about soon, hopefully. Yeah, that's what, that's what we're hoping for. We've been trying to be respectful of the band and not do something, you know, everything that we've done, we hope that the band would be proud of. Oh, I think they would be. What a great band. What a great band. And what a great bunch of fans. say about the band is that um, I think they're very hard to put into a genre like you know mm-hmm. some people call those early albums you know particularly their debut album almost like a metal sound or some people say it's a punk sound mm-hmm. I mean through the 80s you know it, they became very pop like mm-hmm. and you know if you want my love has been called probably their most Beatles sounding song mm-hmm. and then you've got uh, stuff like Special One, which I found very experimental, uh-huh. and then the latest, which is just I, I I wouldn't know where to pigeonhole that one into. So they're kind of like you can't really define them into 
any genre and maybe that's why they've got such a wide appeal because you're going to have people who like Lap of Luxury, you're going to have people who like their debut album and, you know, there's, it's it's such a wide range of music that, you know, it's hard to believe there's people out there that don't like Cheap Trick yet. Yeah, that's kind of strange. You know, there's a Cheap Trick fan born every minute, so... <laughs> <laughs> There's there's two sorts of people in this world. There's cheap trick fans, and there's people who haven't realised they're cheap trick fans yet. There you go. <laughs> well, I've always, uh, I'll tell you, the the ladies of cheap trick have just been amazing. The 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 female uh, side of fandom, if you will, it, some really great gals out there, and very sweet people, and. Uh, I'm just glad I've gotten to know some of you, and I'm really glad I got to know you a little bit, even though it's been through Facebook messaging and everything, and it's it's been a treat to talk to you today. Well, like I said before, you know, it's just, you know, when I went over there and met these friends in real life, it was it was not like the first time we met, you know. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can get to know somebody just as much through a screen and whatever as you can if they lived next door. You know, and it's it's just been great, you know. But uh, and I mean, the internet's also responsible for me becoming such a hardcore cheap trick fan. You know, it was when I started researching them online that I really got into them. So, you know, without that, I wouldn't be a cheap trick fan right now. I'm sure of it. Wow. Well, thank God for the internet, huh? Yep. <laughs> I say that every day. You know, you mentioned the, the debut album at one point. After you had heard, like, all these other things, was it a shock to hear the debut album when you did? Like, No, I... Because to me, that so. album is so radically different than a lot of the stuff that they did later on. A lot of fans call that their favorite album, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, I kind of wish I'd been around and old enough in 77 to have heard that album with fresh ears. I mean, there's a lot of songs on those first three albums that you hear on Budokan. So that tends to be the first time you hear them. You listen to Budokan and there's all these songs. And then you go back and you look at the albums that they came from. So I would have loved to have heard that debut album when it came out without any other version of those songs out there, just to see how I would react to them. You know, I'm probably most of my record collection would be punk music. Mm-hmm. So I would slot that in with there. You know, some people say it's metal, but I don't think it's metal. I think it's it's punk. No, there's there's definite punk stuff there. I mm. mean I just I just don't think there's that a came darkness through. in that album yeah. that is not yeah. on every cheap trick album. No, I just don't think they came from because they didn't come from like New York or Detroit or whatever, where those punk bands were uh-huh. having a, a bit of a scene going, they weren't in the right place to sort of get pushed along with that momentum. So, you know, I think it's it sort of nobody mentions that debut album when they talk about punk albums of the mid to late 70s. And I really think it could just slot right in there with, you know, the Ramones. Um, television, all those sorts of bands. So, like, I would never call Cheap Trick a punk band, 
but there's something there. Mm. You know what I mean? There's yeah. something in there that is in punk, whatever mm. that is. Yeah. Whether whether it's the anger that's on that first album, but like my my favorite cheap trick balance, like BJ and I have talked about the difference between the flame and something like voices. There's something that could go dark and sinister about voices at any time. You almost get mm. the feeling like Robin singing. Like there's there's the two different voices going on, and the one saying you know something doesn't seem right, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Like he could just snap at any second. Like he's there's this one guy who's trying to maintain it all, and then the other side is the other. And you know, so to me, my favorite cheap trick ballads are the ones that have a sense of longing or that dark, sinister edge that could Ooh. reveal itself at any second. You could say that about Best Friend too, off Special One. Yes, that's that is absolutely one of my all-time favorite songs mm. and you know i would love to see that them play that one live but you know i mean on the surface best friend you know oh it's a song about someone's best friend but then you listen to the lyrics and you realize it is a very dark sinister song and i mean the battle the ballad of tv violence is the same thing it's very dark subject matter uh-huh. and um you know, Daddy should have stayed in high school. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just... I, I remember seeing in an interview or hearing an interview with Rick and he was sort of a bit peeved that he was, kept getting asked these questions about the humour of the band. And he was like, God, I write all these songs. I write about serial killers and all this sort of stuff and people just want to talk about me clowning around. Uh-huh. And that's always, you know... I just sort of look at it and think, well, you know, you look like a clown, you act like a clown, people are going to think you're a clown. And it's sort of, you know, a a lot of people, I think just about everyone disagrees with me, but I just, I wonder whether Rick made a little bit of a mistake by going down that road. And I wonder how successful they would have been had he not. I I guess we can look at ACDC. But then again, it's a whole different mind trip, a whole different audience set. Yeah. It, yeah. But it, to me, it's not that much different. You know, the the gig the gig is not that different. But it's so weird because we say that a that a band's image isn't important, but look at the Ramones. Yeah. Their image <laughs> is just as contrived as Kiss's was. Yeah. And Cheap Trick, and David Bowie, and Alice Cooper. I mean, these are you know. Nobody's talking about, like, I've never heard of a Men at Work podcast or, you know, even... That would be so boring. You know, a Huey Lewis in the News podcast. I'm sure that they're (laughs) out there. I'm not looking for them. But it seems like the bands that did have an image, including the Beatles and the Stones, very Mm -hmm. recognizable looks to them, you know, that was part of their package. And it just... I. the thing that sort of I find hard to get my head around is the fact that he went with that image, but what he writes is just so different to that. Uh-huh. And, I mean, I, I think he's, you know... I mean, he made a joke on music with Hangovers when Billy Corgan came out dressed up like him uh-huh. and he had the hat and the skull sweater on and whatever, and, yeah. and Rick says into the microphone, 
I've always wondered why I wasn't taken so seriously as a guitarist. <laughs> it's like, there you go. You know, but then you see him play some of the songs. Like when I was in Denver, we got to see them do Fan Club, which was just amazing. The, that song really builds and when it gets to the end and he plays that beautiful me- melody with his guitar and he's he's just in that zone, you know, he's not jumping up and down and, you know, goose-stepping across the stage or anything. He's he's just a fantastic guitarist and that's what you see. You know, he, he is underrated and he isn't taken seriously, yet he's an amazing songwriter and guitarist, you know. Same with things like Alf Zane, which I got to hear twice in New Zealand, you know, the whole band were just amazing. You know, you, you can tell the songs that they really enjoy playing and the ones that they sort of play out of obligation, you know. They play um, Big Eyes out of obligation or California Man out of obligation. People expect these songs. Uh-huh. But then they do something like um, Taxman or Alfreda Zane and you can really see them just enjoying themselves. You know, I got a good variety of music on the tour. There was I counted them up today. No gig was the same. There was no two set lists identical in the whole 11 shows and I got 42 different songs. Wow. Yeah. Whereas Billy Idol, he comes on, same he does the set. same set list every night, every night, but also the same banter between each song. Mm-hmm. The musicians move around to the exact same spots, every song exactly the same, like highly choreographed. Uh-huh. And um, I mean, I stayed for most of Billy's shows. I think I got through about seven and a half or eight and a half Billy Idol gigs. There were some that I couldn't go to because of time constraints and stuff. But when you see but, that many, you kind of know that this is what you're getting. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, he did this whole intro to Sweet 16, telling the story of what the song was about and all that sort of stuff. By the 11th gig of the tour, I could just about recite that off by heart. It was just word for word, every night, the same thing. So, you know, we're very spoilt by our favourite band to get 42 different songs in a tour, you know. I mean, I don't think bands expect people to travel to every gig, but if you do, you get treated. (laughs) <laughs> yeah unless you're a kiss fan yeah <laughs> yeah because it's That's a whole the same set list yeah it literally is a whole nother shit podcast <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Stephanie, thank you for being a guest on Cheap Talk, and we look forward to seeing you on the Facebook page, and keep cheap tricking. Thank you, Ken. I'll be back in the U.S. one day, so next time we'll have to get together and go to a gig. All right, sounds good. And don't forget to mark all your posts with hashtag InductCheapTrick. That way they'll all get on that Facebook page and we've got a wonderful collection. And hopefully the Hall of Fame people will finally get the hint. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online non-profit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap tricking. Um, so who has a sexier voice, BJ or uh, me? Well, that's much like asking what's your favorite cheap trick album. Ah, oh, wow. I would say that BJ is more your 77 cheap trick debut album, and uh-huh. you would be more the latest. Ah, okay. Yes. I'm, I'm hoping Apples that's and a compliment. Oranges. I'm hoping that's a compliment. It is. And you, you can you can sail a thousand ships and not be called a captain. A captain. Yeah. But if you mention elephants fucking once, yes, <laughs> you will never get to live that down. That's right. <laughs> um. Okay, here we go. Top seven answers on the board. Name a part of a female elephant about which a male elephant might think that's hot. Sorry. Trunk. The trunk.